Hey everyone, it's time for another exciting edition of Cloud Office Hours with Cloud Posse, your weekly dose of insider DevOps trends, AWS reInvent news, if we're talking about today, and Terraform Insights, all sourced from our SuiteOps community, plus a live Q&A that you can't find anywhere else. It's November 29th, 2023. I'm your host, Eric Osterman. Real quick, I'm the founder and CEO of Cloud Posse. We're a DevOps accelerator for startups. We help teams who are overwhelmed with AWS, and we do this by using our over 200 Terraform modules that have been battle tested and downloaded over 10 million times. No matter where you find yourself on this journey, we're here to help your startup launch better products faster, free up your bandwidth for innovation, and nail your value delivery every time. If you or your team have been banging your head against the wall with underperforming infrastructure, just head over to cloudposse.com slash quiz, answer a few quick questions, and we'll chart a roadmap for success free. Worst case, you get a clear roadmap for shoring up your infrastructure. Best case, we co-build it with you and empower your DevOps team in 90 days or less. So how can you maximize today's session? First off, our format's very informal. Engage as much as you'd like, ask questions. And if you're curious about any of our open source tools or modules, go for it. For those on the recording, we host these calls live, so don't miss out. Just join us live by going to cloudposse.com slash office hours. Again, that's cloudposse.com slash office hours. I do have one ask. If you find any portion of our office hours valuable, please share it with your team. Just head over to youtube.com slash cloudposse or send us a short testimonial about the value you're getting in Slack. Just go to slack.cloudposse.com. Remember, we're not just creating content here. We're trying to build a community. So we need your help. And with that said, let's jump right on into these exciting announcements. All right, first, got to get some other things off the plate uh, before we spend the entire session probably on reInvent uh, announcements. Um, if we get to questions, uh, we'll see. I'm not sure. To All right, so first one uh, was, um, I, I guess I missed the original intent to acquire, uh, but I guess this acquisition has now been completed. Um, now enterprises are freaking out because Broadcom's going to jack up all their prices on VMware products. Uh, that's apparently their MO. And um, yeah, it's, I'm pretty insane. I mean, VMware was a massive company to begin with, and now uh, they were just gobbled up. Um, I forget how much it was, how many billions. Uh, was it 65 billion or something? I don't know. Anyways. Um, that's that announcement. Uh, the next announcement is if you are Six, on new sixty nine billion. Sorry, 69. I was just confirming. Yeah, very wow. big. That is a big acquisition. Um, didn't see that one coming. All right, uh, New Relic has uh, put out a notice that they are investigating uh, a security incident. Now, this was back on November twenty second, so almost a week ago, um, and there's been no further information so far. So I'm curious what the nature of that incident is. Um, now, that's all the announcements I had outside of AWS. <laughs> now, now we'll get to AWS, which has dwarfed my inbox. All right, first, first one. Is first, yeah, before you do that, I just want to quickly say that um, I saw someone make a comment that uh, Broadcom acquired VMware for the same price that uh, Microsoft acquired Call of Duty because they bought Activision for also $69 billion. What? <laughs> I had no idea that, that acquisition was that high. Wow. Yeah. 
So I feel like um, I don't know. I, I don't know gaming. So the VMware sounds like a better <laughs> buy to me, but a bunch of entrenched enterprises with hundred million dollars yeah. spends. Um, all right. So yeah, this one's going to make uh, operations team uh, happy everywhere. Uh, AWS Backup has uh, added the ability for automated and periodic restore tests of supported AWS resources. So uh, at least from a checkbox perspective, you can say that you are now satisfying your DR uh, commitment to test your backups every you know 30 days or every 90 days or something. Uh, the reality is, I think, you know, it's one thing to spin up the database. It's another to test that you can easily swap it in with all your services, uh, you know, from a true DR perspective. Anyways, I sound, this sounds good from a checkbox uh, standpoint. Matt, anything to add to that? I, I didn't get to, I, a lot of these, I only did the cursory read, okay. but I'd be curious to know if, uh, if this can be cross-region, uh, like cross-region restores, because that would actually be uh, very interesting to test uh, to test real DR strategies. Yeah, yeah. Um, now there were a slew of announcements related to Security Hub, which is welcome. Um, I think uh, it, it's nice to see that Amazon is investing in Security Hub some more. They're obviously facing pressure from like two dozen security startups uh, eating their cake uh, related to compliance. And I mean, let's face it, Security Hub has been a real pain to set up, configure, deploy, uh, and take action on. So. Uh, first one is the dashboard itself is being improved. Uh, you can now filter uh, that dashboard on what you need to see. They did that by adding enrichment. So all the findings now are automatically enriched with tags, which can contain like uh, where it came from, the you know like uh, inspector um, and the application, perhaps if uh, you configured it with that. So any other tags will be collected. So then the dashboard can be... Um, optimized for that. You can also reorganize the widgets on that dashboard. Then the other thing that's a welcome improvement is centralized configuration now of Security Hub. If you're familiar deploying Security Hub the, uh, the way that's been supported now for a couple of years at least, there's this concept of conformance packs. A conformance pack is a collection of AWS config rules uh, that um, enable some suite of checks. Uh, there's like conformance packs for CIS 1.4, 1.2, uh, CIS benchmarks, um, and like a hundred other conformance packs. So what has been added is now a concept of an organizational conformance pack instead of an account level conformance pack. So this improves the ability uh, to deploy, I guess, conformance packs uh, at scale across your organization, Matt. I think I, I think there there's two different things being conflated there. So okay. conformance packs and all the rules and everything are AWS config constructs. Um, but now they they actually give you the ability to delegate to delegate the security or whichever account you want. They an account. Um, as the um, you know the delegated administrator for the organization, and then you can actually turn on and configure 
all of the accounts in the organization from that central from that central place in security hub like before you you had to like if you had an existing organization you had to turn on security hub and then go to every account and every region in that account and basically designate the delegated administrator as your like as your master kind of um and or you had to do like this like invitation acceptor um level thing in terraform or you had to use our provider which we custom wrote to um to do like some to to basically opt in um uh, accounts that already existed um now they're saying that you can go in and basically select any OU or the top level organization or individual accounts and set things that say like all of these accounts should automatically come into the security hub. These accounts in this OU should be excluded or should be turned on for their own instance of security hub or all these things. And you can do that all from a central place now where before you had to do it in all these disparate locations to actually get the overall solution working. Yeah, thank you for clearing that up. Yeah, um, that's, that's correct. And then, and then because of that, now there needs to be a way to manage conformance packs centrally. And then this yeah. is the way to do the conformance pack management centrally. Yeah. So basically, when you turn on the standards and security hub, in order to collect all the data to know whether or not you're compliant against HIPAA, CIS, organizational best practices, NIST, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, um, they the security hub relies on AWS uh, config to gather the state of all your various resources across the organization uh, and the rules for what it needs to collect for all of those different uh, standards are now packaged in, or have for a while been, been being packaged in um, conformance packs, which you would individually uh, roll out to each region in your account. Now you can actually say, I want to roll out this conformance pack for my entire organization um, with this new resource. And you can basically get that conformance pack deployed in a single deployment, which is which is super helpful uh, when, when you're building these things, especially for companies like us who are constantly standing up new organizations um, for our customers. Uh, it is really helpful to uh, to have this kind of um, this kind of thing available. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, we were just literally like on Friday, what was it we were talking about? How to yeah, organize our configuration, <laughs> how we simplify it. To, I mean, I mean, you're deploying something across 17 AWS default regions in N number of accounts. There's a lot of configuration behind this. This is going to radically reduce the complexity of deploying it, which is welcome. So, yeah, agreed. Very excited about that. <laughs> I can't tell you the number of times we're trying to solve things that then AWS ends up solving in short order after we, like we push it off, we push it off, we push it off for a year or years. Then finally we can't solve, we can't push it off anymore. We have to solve it. All right, AWS solved it. Uh, all right, let's see the next announcement here. Um. Also, just to highlight, it is pretty cool that these things were just announced at reInvent, and Amazon's obviously working closely with HashiCorp. Uh, so Terraform provider support and the official AWS provider uh, was, was uh, forthcoming almost at the same time, at least. 
for some of these, not all of these announcements. So the next announcement is exciting for anyone who's been uh, looking to leverage Prometheus together, together with EKS. Um, obviously, managed Prometheus has been out for some time. But the annoying thing with that, my understanding is you still had to deploy a local Prometheus instance, install the uh, collectors on your cluster. So you're just managing kind of a fault and a fault tolerant instance of Prometheus locally in your cluster. So you're still managing Prometheus, which is like the thing you don't want to do if you're using a managed Prometheus. So now there is support for a fully managed uh, collect agentless collector uh, for Prometheus metrics on Amazon EKS. I don't understand how it's been implemented, uh, but it means that you don't need to deploy anything related to Prometheus specifically on your cluster, and you can get the benefit of Prometheus metrics and not pay the exorbitant fee of CloudWatch for the same level of detail. Yeah, from my my quick look at it, it, it looks like they've implemented, you know how like in the EKS, console you can go and see like all your deployments and all of the like all the yeah. containers that are running and all that kind of stuff they've basically like added it on top of that layer that gathers all that information and it you it calls that api basically to get all the metrics that it needs for um you know to, to pull into prometheus cool And uh, feel free, anyone, to jump in if you have anything to add to any one of these uh, announcements. All right. I'm very excited for that one, the collector. Um, yeah. I don't know about anyone else, but I constantly see latency in CloudWatch. Like, it drives yeah. me nuts. And I know it drives AWS nuts because they don't even know when their own services die. So cheap <laughs> shot no well well warranted it, it is interesting um i i wouldn't be surprised uh okay implement it on top of cloud watch metrics for your benefit uh but hopefully not as a big boss with no sense that's what i would do yeah Next uh, announcement is, yeah, if you're using uh, EFS and uh, you know accustomed to paying up the wazoo for insane IOPS, uh, you have uh, now the opportunity to quadruple the amount you spend uh, as they have increased the IOPS per second uh, by 4.5x, which is an impressive feat. Now it is obviously leveraging some form of caching uh, because they say for, frequently accessed files. Um, this was really exciting. I, I haven't gone deep enough on it, but reading between the lines, uh, it sounds like this makes it a lot easier um, to provision fine-grained um, IAM permissions for your pods deployed in Kubernetes without needing to drop down to Terraform or uh, Pulumi or uh, AC Amazon was it uh, operators for or controllers for Kubernetes ACK. Um, yeah. Obviously, something still needs to provision them, but you provision them once and then you can reuse them. Um, I think is how it's implemented. Yeah, it's basically that the um, similar to how a every EC2 instance gets a. An instance role now every pod basically gets an IAM role and you can assign permissions to that 
to that role that the pod launches with, which is pretty cool. I see. This is also the they pre-announced uh, in the spring at KubeCon that they're gonna launch time rolls for service accounts v2, and this yeah. is that thing. Mm. Both will remain supported because there are some features that don't work here and uh, in uh, I enrolled for service account, so there is no desperate need to migrate. But yeah, just wanted to make that clear. Yeah, and I think the other thing that's that's really cool is um, it's one of the highlights there the role session tags. Um, if you see it there, yeah. So the what this means is that the the role sessions for that these identities have are tagged with the cluster name namespace service account that launched this so then you can write iam policies that have conditions um for mm -hmm. all of these different things so that you can actually very easily then tie in and say like i only want this service to be able to assume this role and then assuming you trust you know the, uh, the the OIDC provider of EKS to uh, to properly tag all those things. Then um, you get that kind of for free out of the box. You don't really have to do you know a lot there, which is pretty cool. Yeah. Do you know if the mechanism for uh, sharing the identity uh, to the EKS pods are similar to how they do in EC2, where they inject the environment variable? I believe it. Someone I I saw write it up that said that it was similar to that, but I haven't verified it myself, so I can't I can't say for sure. That's very cool. All right, uh, let's see. Where were we? I hope each pod doesn't have a metadata service. That's all. I'll say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There is a daemon set you have to run on every single node. Yeah, mm. on the node, right. So then it wouldn't work with Fargate, I guess, then? Since Fargate doesn't work with daemon sets. They probably have the daemon set running, I would bet. If you open but up the announcement, know. is there a limitation called out for this? No. No. Maybe documentation and it says it's it's available in all in all regions where eks is available so well there there you go yeah so no windows and no fargate support yet yeah. all right um this is super exciting i can't i, I remember it was like two years <laughs> ago they announced account factories for terraform i was sitting i was actually at reinvent I was so excited. We've been waiting on it forever. And then you like start looking in. I, and I was misinformed for months thereafter until we actually went to go do it and use it and realize, oh, wait, this isn't really Terraform. It's a Rube Goldberg apparatus that calls Terraform unattended and just assumes Terraform applies are, yeah, trust me, I got this. Um, so you don't inspect your plans. Anyway, so this is now officially controlling control tower with APIs and uh, forthcoming provider support in AWS for managing it with first-class Terraform resources. Yeah, although... Wait, you're going to burst the, my... 
sort of. The first uh, resource, the AWS Control Tower Landing Zone resource, which yeah. looks great. I looked at the implementation. Basically, it takes it takes a um, it, it takes a manifest that's like this like Control Tower API. If you click on that there, it's the Control Tower. If you go to the Create uh, Landing Zone um, one. It has like a, a manifest as a JSON value. And then if you scroll down to be what that looks like, it's it's this whole crazy like descriptive thing in in cloud formation like um, syntax that you basically can just pass to a Terraform resource and then it applies it for you. Okay. So it's like the cloud <laughs> resource kind of but kind of. Yeah. 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 So Yes, it's you can check the box that it's supported, but it's not like you can fully configure the landing zone using Terraform yet. So hopefully this is a first step. And then even the API, if you look, the API call itself takes this manifest file. So they haven't like, uh, they don't have like the, um, they don't have like all the individual parts like broken out into their own, into their own resources yet. Mm-hmm. So, but hopefully we'll get there. Yeah. Endless movement in the right direction. <laughs> it is. It is. It's in the right direction. Optimistic here. Uh, let's see. Next announcement is all right. This is kind of cool. If you are a CloudFormation user, uh, native Git management of stacks uh, is now supported. So you can connect um, CloudFormation to a uh, popular, one of the popular uh, Git systems like GitHub, GitHub Enterprise, GitLab, Bitbucket directly. And you push commits to a branch and it automatically synchronizes that CloudFormation. Now, that might in practice be uh, not as nice as it seems because you might want to actually inspect that change set, I guess. but. Trust me, I don't make mistakes. Um, well, at least CloudFormation does have rollback. Yeah, it, it loves to roll back, in fact, all the time. Yeah. And those rollbacks yeah. love to fail also. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, and I guess the an, an last announcement was um, code console to code preview. Uh, so you can basically click ops your stuff and then have it generate the corresponding uh, cloud formation code or CDK code, I think was also supported. No Terraform support. And with all these kinds of announcements, I don't know. I, I think if it's a certain use case, like, dude, they just asked me to do this. I don't want to touch this again. Uh, and, or like, I'm just doing a migration or maybe you have to export something from one organization or one account to another account. And you just want the code to kind of replicate that. You can then use this, but machine generated code is often like, it's a little bit like decompiling a binary. You, you Yeah, you can do it, but you don't want to work with it. It's not optimally organized into modules and uh, pe logical pieces like that. It won't be dry. I immediately now, think of Dreamweaver. Yeah, <laughs> something along those lines. Uh, now, okay, it is a little presumptuous. Obviously, 
generative AI is incredibly capable uh, once it's been properly uh, tuned. Um, so what's to say it couldn't properly do that? I just, um, I doubt that it would have the intuition. Uh, so on, on that topic there, I will just say, um, I looked at Fireflies, not the note-taking thing. I think it's called fireflies.io. Yeah. Have you seen them? They um they, they actually had a do provider or something, right? That they just deprecated. I think we talked about it last week. Um Oh, I wasn't on the call last week, sorry. Okay. Um but but they actually have generative terraform capabilities both in using modules and um and or direct like adding resources directly to like a main.io. I'm almost sure it's called Firefly. Oh, that's it. Dot AI. Sorry. Yeah. And and they actually support modules, which is kind of cool. cool. I kicked the tires a little bit on it, but not at an in-depth level enough to give a full review yet. Oof. <laughs> All right. I had one comment on that. Um, yeah, this one right here, the console to code generation, uh, or actually two comments. One, Azure's had this for a while, right? It's like you could go to the console, do whatever you need to do, and they actually give you the CLI command that will allow you to, you know, do whatever you did. Again, from the command line, you can modify it, use it as a snippet, something like that. Um, and yeah, I totally agree with you, Eric, that machine generated code is probably the absolute worst for working with like in a repeatable fashion. Um, and one example of this is Terraformer, where you reverse engineer stuff that you've deployed. And I kind of see this in that same sort of vein. But um, I will say that it might be a good uh, way to um, start your infrastructure as code uh, exploration or templating, whatever you want to call it. Because the way that I've used Terraformer, I'll build out everything in the console and then reverse engineer it to code. And then I'll use the code, I'll modify it to make it look like I want it to yeah. look, you know, I'll kind of pair the the variable names together, the resource names and, you know, because everything's totally out of sync and, you know, it doesn't make any sense or whatever. Um, so I could see this uh, approach being um, useful in that aspect for cloud formation. Um, I, I forget there was, there's an app that used to do that. It was like a, I want to say a Chrome plugin or something like that, where you would, you know, do your actions in the console and it would capture the API calls and mm -hmm. give you some sort of code. I forget what the what the name of the uh, plugin was. Um, I never used it. I, I don't think I, I found a valuable use for it. But if this is, you know, it's backed by AWS, it gives you pretty decent snippets or full cloud formation templates, whatever it gives you, it might be a good start, you know, um, it's, and, and it's better than nothing. Cause I've been wanting what Azure has been given everybody since pretty much day one. But would Azure be giving you the equivalent of like an AWS CLI command or would it be giving you declarative infrastructure as code in RAM or whatever? I forget what the, for, the uh, language is. It, it's been a while since I've used it, but yes, on the uh, Azure uh, CLI command. But I thought they also gave you whatever their version of CloudFormation is as well. I'm drawing a blank on what the, the format is called. Um, Looks like Rohan found that uh, plugin you were thinking about. Yeah, that, that's the one. That's cool.
Looks like it's been uh, abandoned, unfortunately. But any other announcements or anything? Any other comments on the announcement before we move on? Eric, you still have uh, two more announcements, then. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. or yeah, but I mean, uh, any more comments on this announcement? I meant to say, thank you for. For non-Terraform code generation, they also announced Amazon Q issue to PR or whatever the final name was. I posted the link in the Zoom chat to um, blog post announcement. Zoom chat, there's a link there. You basically create an issue, there you're showing it here with Code Catalyst, which is not something you ever want to use, but we're going to gloss over that. And you create an issue and you basically tell Q, hey, code this up for me and it's going to do it for you. Hmm. So there's I, a lot of generative, uh, a lot of AI generation of code happening. Hmm. That's kind of cool. Uh, that seems like a logical thing for uh, GitHub to rip off. Uh, solve this issue with, uh, you know, uh, code, uh, with a code, copilot. GitHub issue to copilot PR. I think GitHub also had something like that in preview or as part of GitHub next to showcase or whatever it's called. That'd be really cool. Yeah, copilot for pull request. Was that only I think this is for some descriptions or also implementation? Yeah, right better. Either way, it wasn't launched. AWS launched there. So yay, props to AWS. Yeah. Seems cool. All I right. Think that's uh, actually your next we'll announcement. Preview. Yeah, yeah. So and then there was another aspect of that. Uh we were talking about this morning. Uh, a couple members on the team were kicking the tires on it. Um, and uh, had the unfortunate encounter of more hallucinations. I don't know, did I add the, I think I forgot to add the link to it anyways, but um, yeah, Matt, Jeremy, you guys want to share your experience or what is AW, Amazon Q and uh, your experience? Yeah, it, it's basically when you open, um, when you open the console now, it's on the right hand, the AWS console, it's on the right hand side. And it's basically, um, you know, uh, a chat GPT for for AWS, essentially, um, where you're supposed to be able to ask it any kind of question you want over the AWS domain um, in the context of the page that you're on. And it will, uh, it will then give you your, um, you know, answers, um, you know, in context, basically, uh, Based on what your uh, what you've asked it, so um, yep. I hope that uh, I hope that Q is a more like uh, you know means like question or throw back to the James Bond uh, character or something rather than uh, I don't know for some reason every time I see it I think of Q and non <laughs> which is not good. <laughs> <laughs> so. <laughs> Um, I can say that I, that wasn't what I thought of, but um, I did think of uh, like comparing it to ChatGPT, and the answers are 
I guess, recent because it even mentioned um, we were basically having a discussion about Identity Center today. And I was like, oh, okay, I've already used this a little bit. And I asked it, so can you have multiple Identity Centers and uh, in, in an organization? And it was just glibly like, sure, yeah. And then um, gave an answer uh, in the links. And uh, I clicked on, on the question and in the question it's no you can't so um it was kind of it's kind of a curious thing it does it knows how to link information between different topics um i think that you do have to dig in when you're asking it questions and um in that particular case um the nice thing about it was that it did link to a um an article that uh was i guess from probably covered last call was that uh identity center now lets you have these sort of uh in uh in account uh versions of identity center and maybe it was getting confused with that but that's not the same as having an organization uh identity center so it's um it's still got some work to do in my opinion so the last announcement I have was um... one mention here regarding Q. So Q is Amazon's umbrella name for a bunch of generative AI services. It's not just the thingy. So there's the chat thingy in the console, which you get to ask questions with. It's the issue to PR thing that's also part of Q. Uh, there is also a thing, Q code transformation. I posted the link in the Zoom chat which for now can basically take an older Java app and update it to the latest Java version. So from version eight and 11 to version 17. And mm. they're also gonna, they mentioned they're gonna add support for .NET. So moving from .NET Core, .NET 4 to .NET 8, which I assume just launched and from .NET Windows to .NET Linux, powered by Generative AI. So Q is just like the umbrella for a bunch of different generative AI products. It's not one thing. That's important. Thanks. I I also uh, have I named the other thing the the corner there the one that shows up in the console uh, Clippy for AWS. You remember in Microsoft Office, they had that little clippy <laughs> guy that popped up all the time. I I already <laughs> want to make a uh, a grease monkey script that actually implements that because I would love that. <laughs> that's that's what I'm good. I uh, I was reminded of when I started using it. <laughs> it looks like you're trying to to uh, spend yeah. <laughs> a lot of money on uh, on a NAT exactly. gateway. <laughs> <laughs> That would have been hilarious as a throwback, though. Oh, it's two different. Yeah. So that's what uh, Microsoft should launch is Clippy uh, for Azure, I guess. Uh, we'll see yeah. that's powered by GPT. That would actually be cool if they did that. <laughs> but that's what Q reminds me of, or at least the, the <laughs> you know, the one that appears in the AWS console. <laughs> that's what it reminds me of. Yeah. Okay, uh, last one I had was um, something new, a new uh, storage class for Amazon S3 called Express One uh, Zone, uh, which is a way to localize parts of a bucket 
in other regions is the gist that I got from it. It was a little bit confusing to me. So you'll have a primary bucket, and then then, then you'll def, you'll provision additional buckets following a specific format, and then those will be nested directories inside of the other bucket, but accessible through a different region. Is that right, Vlad, or someone else who knows more? Uh, again, I am under many NDAs, and I don't know what was launched publicly or not. But no, this is basically S3 in one availability zone. It's not regions. It's you get S3 with data stored just in one availability zone. It's a lot more performant. There are, yeah. uh, can you search for prefix there? In but the what blocks? was the idea of a directory bucket? I, I couldn't understand. Yeah, that's how basically you create the thingy. I, again. Okay. You, it's, think of it as a, a new class that stores your data in just one AZ. The price per request is a lot cheaper. The price per oh. storage is a lot more expensive. So there are some interesting trade-offs, but you get a heck of a lot more performance okay. and yeah, the, way lower latency and a bunch of things. Folks that are this doing cell-based uh, architectures are going to be very happy with this. Yeah, and I was going to say, I think this is really designed for people who are training extremely large machine learning models and they need to like feed data to, you know, to some service to be able to process them at like high speeds. So you can basically like set up a bucket, um, set up like one of the each, like a bucket in each different availability zone you wanted to do that in. You spin up multiple things that can adjust that and it can read at a much higher, um, at a much higher rate than normal, you know, S3. Um, and that's the whole idea behind it is that it's uh, it's faster. Or, you know, people are doing like media process. I think they mentioned it in here, like uh, media um, encoding and um, transpot, uh, what do you call it? When um, I can't think of the name of when you do the video, uh, when you're converting from, yeah, transcoding. Transcode. Thank you. Tra I'm like transpiling. No, that's not a trans it's transcoding um, and all those kinds of things. I think it's basically like optimized for those use case use cases. Yeah, if you ever wanted more performance out of S3, or if you were very annoyed about the request costs or per prefix uh, limitations, this is for you. It's awesome. And again, yeah. folks that are doing cell-based architectures with per availability zone cells can just, if this is a fit for them, they can just adopt it immediately. Yeah. Although the off the off thing is interesting is that you get like a token now that you have to pass with every, you create a session that you get a token that you have to pass with every request um, to actually call it now which is uh, which is a little bit of an, an interesting shift. So I wonder if they're thinking about doing that with all of S3 eventually. That also that also increases the um, the throughput because they don't have to they just have to validate the tokens uh, the tokens validity. They don't have to actually like do the full authentication check on every on every access which is what they had to do with s3 before i'm so curious why they chose you know, 
it's not a coincidence or accident that I'm sure a lot of thought went into it. I'm just so curious why why do they call it a directory bucket? Is it just a bucket to a zone or I I think what's happening is you're like you write you can write from like a source bucket like into one of these directory buckets. Okay. And and then the reads are optimized. Yeah, because they, they should follow a hierarchical way of naming. Uh, I forget where they said that. Hmm. My base bucket is JBAR and exists in such and such. The name I supplied to create bucket would be JBAR, pop, 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 pop. Although the bucket exists within a specific availability zone, it is accessible from other zones in the region. Mm -hmm. I mean, could it be thought of as federated buckets in that case? That a bucket is federated to other buckets? I don't think so. I think it's like legit. You're, you're setting it up specifically in that availability zone. So think about like an availability zone, like often is is in a different data center on like a dark fiber ring that's, you know, 15 or 20 miles away. So like legit that, that latency in a region could be enough to be significant for these extremely high, mm -hmm. extremely like high bandwidth, high throughput applications. So I think they're literally letting you like co-locate your data in the availability zone with the thing that's, that's processing. So I think, in this article, I think at the bottom they talk about SageMaker, like machine learning training, as one of the one of the um, you know use cases of this or whatever. Mm -hmm. So yeah, there you go. Athena, MapReduce, Glue, and then you know all these other things. So all right. Well, that's really interesting. Uh, any other announcements catch your guys' eyes? I'll just make a general comment that we just went through like probably almost all of the um, all of the announcements from from like the several hundred announcements that weren't ex explicitly uh, AI slash machine learning um, uh. announcements. So just like GitHub, uh, you know, GitHub, I said a couple weeks ago, has yeah. became a a machine, you know, an AI company. Um, Amazon is is like transforming solely into like only being an AI company with some like underpinning services like to support those AI things that they're that they're trying to do. So uh, it's interesting to see how rapidly everyone is doing this. Yeah, they did have a bunch of AI announcements. I'm not oh, gonna yeah. deny that, but they had a bunch of non-AI stuff like. Lambda scaling changed, open search got new dedicated nodes, a bunch of zero ETL stuff. Like there you were mean, a lot of a, a lot of the scaling change based on AI. <laughs> <laughs> I think that was one that was the announcement. <laughs> yeah, I saw that one. Yeah. <laughs> At least for redshift or something, or like uh scaling yeah. based on. There, there were several like that. I'm just saying when I scanned through, like I scanned through these every day to just give like a quick summary of everything. And, and I was like, 
AI, AI, AI. Oh, here's one that's just like infrastructure stuff. <laughs> like all the bedrock stuff, that's all that's all like generative AI. The machine learning keynote just happened. <laughs> like I know. Go back to go back to the 26th and you'll see a ton of AI. Trying to get there, but I've been DOS attacked in seven pages of 27. Yeah. <laughs> The step functions HTTP thing it was just on the screen. That's gonna make a lot of people very happy. What did I miss there? Let's see. Here. So you know how you had step functions and you wanted to call an API and you had a lambda called it API. No more lambda needed. Step functions can just call the API for you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's nice. Yeah. Assuming they can do like all the authentication things that you usually need to do to do that, then it should be cool. They can do most of that. It's working uh, on the same thing is as what's it called? Event bridge API destinations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's cool. All right. Uh, other interesting announcements from reInvent or did, otherwise? Did I just see something that that they have a service now to determine like to determine adult content or something? I just saw like ex oh, mon monotronic x rated or something. Ex no, it's a oh there you go. Oh, <laughs> never mind. <laughs> That's like a physical like sensor. Yeah. <laughs> they do have recognition with which can detect nudity. Yeah. They have transcribe which can uh, detect swearing and other words. I, I was just gonna make a joke that they they released the uh, the hot dog or no hot dog thing from Silicon Valley uh, <laughs> that they that the guy was building, whatever that guy's name was. I can't remember it. <laughs> There was another cool, or at least announcement that I thought was pretty cool. It was there on their workspaces. So basically, uh, they've made like a $200 thin client. And it doesn't have a hard drive uh, from the specs that I read. You basically, uh, yeah, you just plug it in, mouse, keyboard, webcam, and you get connected to workspaces. I looked at the pricing for Amazon workspaces. It wasn't sold on switching over to that, but still think it's a pretty cool idea. Yeah. Uh Am I reading a Citrix announcement from 2002? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this is essentially what they did. They partnered with Wise, and Wise made all those like dumb terminals that just could, just had a, a Citrix client like uh, embedded on the firmware, and then connected to it. It's basically the same idea. We're we're just moving back to mainframes. Essentially, that's what we're we're doing. Everything is cyclical. Yeah. Uh. Interesting, but it's a uh, contact sales for pricing. Oh, they had some pricing listed on the website. I did the rough I mean, map. purchasing. It's not like I was hoping just to see click here and a link to Amazon oh. where people buy it. Yeah, Vlad also uh, just shared in the chat um, that MTLS for the ALBs. That's pretty cool. Mm. Yeah, I saw that. They also had something with automatic uh, target weight stuff for ALB, which was more interesting. We made fun of you 
weeks ago, a month ago, about me not caring about MTLS and stuff. I was like, ha, I have the announcement for you. And it's not AIs. <laughs> yeah, I think that was when we were talking about service meshes that you, yeah. you didn't really care. Yeah. <laughs> So now you can deploy ALBs like a mesh and yeah. not cheap, but do they give you the client cert then? If like is because typically you've never been able to export a certificate from ACM, right? It's always been so well, you would give it presumably the public key that you created. Yeah. Okay. This is for like this is for like business to business, like business to business transactions, so that you can. It's the equivalent of having a, a shared passphrase in like webhooks, so that you can verify that the that the sender is actually the sender. So now you can they can sign it with their certificate, and if you know their public key, you can basically just verify that that actually got signed, you know, by that that certificate. Got it. Which now we're just. Trying to figure out another way to implement X509, like <laughs> in an easier way, I guess, over ALBs. So more cycles, more cycles. Hmm. That's nice. All right. Yeah. So, uh, Vlad shared another one application load balancers, uh, increase application availability with automatic target weights. So, it'll automatically um, adjust where the traffic is going to upstreams based on things like connection errors and 500 server errors and so forth. All right. Yeah. So it's kind of like automatically implementing like circuit breakers or back offs for you or something like along those lines to your upstreams. What I'd love to see, and I don't believe is support, is the ability to immediately retry requests um, to another backend. Because when you're auto scaling like your Kubernetes clusters with Carpenter, uh, it, it's pretty disruptive to end users if you're doing that often enough that uh, your connections are dropped. Yeah. All right, well, that was a great list. Um, I guess in the last few minutes, if there was somebody who had a question, uh, we can try and get answered in five minutes. Um, I did have a question. I was recently looking at uh, changing my Vault backend. Right now I'm using the integrated Raft protocol and I've got that spread out across three nodes, but I was considering uh, one of the community supported S3 backends where basically you lose Vault HA where you're not running three nodes, but you have the uh, storage uh, backend being S3. So you run single node, uh, Vault and uh, and just have your backend state 
uh, sorry, not your backend state, uh, your uh, your vault database uh, stored directly in S3. I was curious to know if anyone here was doing that or if they've gone the console route or the, I guess the more official HashCorp supported route. Um, for what it's worth in the docs, they've got a lot of options of other stores that you can use, but only two of them are officially supported or three of them, I think local file system, console, and the integrated raft. What vault specific features do you depend on? Uh, primarily just a key value store. And why introduce it? Um, it, seems, um, it seemed like a simpler option um, to just have it in S3 because S3 is typically pretty awesome. Nothing really, I mean, it's actually more work for me to switch over to that. I was just thinking it might be a better option, but. But as uh, opposed to ESM or SSM, like why? Oh, uh, why Vault over uh, SSM versus uh, yeah. uh, versus why, even, why even have it in the stack? Oh, uh, we're doing a lot within Kubernetes. So that's part of the bias there is uh, the way we deploy our Kubernetes environment and the tooling that we're using. Of course, um, we're also deploying this onto different clouds. So we aren't just uh, AWS specific. So a lot of a lot of it's trying to be agnostic to the vendor, um, and as even as we deploy it into other clouds, my next question is going to be: If anyone's using it, have we tried it with latency? <laughs> right, uh, <laughs> and there are slight uh, differences between uh, the various S three compatible air quote um, object stores. So, another like real consideration would be: Have you considered the actual like? Hosted offering from HashiCorp? I actually have not. Um, I should revisit that. That's probably not a bad idea. Yeah. Um, alternatively, uh, not saying something you don't know about, but it's a, a different way of thinking about the same problem. Uh, you're aware of external secrets operator. You're aware it supports SSM. Um, but it also supports the native store of multiple other clouds, I believe. So then you rely on the managed offering in each of the relative clouds, which could be considered an advantage, um, while you're still relying on Kubernetes secrets as a you know, unifying abstraction. Yeah, except then you do have to store your secret two or three times, depending on the number of clouds that you're in. Sure. Or, 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 I, I didn't know the way. Yeah, I mean, yeah. If if you are concurrently operating yourself for customers in multiple, then Matt is right. Yeah, and if you're using like vaults, um, automated rotation, like and all of that kind of stuff, like that, that becomes much more difficult to. Yeah, yeah. To do what you were saying. And that's why I asked how you're using Vault. Like, yeah, Vault yeah, yeah. So much <laughs> awesome stuff. So yeah, if you're using automated, then obviously stick with that. But sometimes it's like it's thrown into the mix, almost more like satisfying a checkbox rather than actually providing incremental value. Yeah, we aren't leveraging uh, any of the fancier features. It's purely just key value stores. So we could easily swap over the cloud specific vendor, uh, cl the cloud specific solutions. Um, the idea was eventually we'd start leveraging like rotating secrets, uh, like for databases and stuff like that. But um, going back to the original question, um, if yeah, it sounds like folks, if they are using Vault, are probably just using the recommended supported version. So um, if not uh, using that external secrets and the many cloud integrations might be the next best option there. 
Yeah. And if you do want to get around the, um, I, I know someone else who's done this, that the, um, they used external secrets operator with, um, oh my God, what's the, the password? Uh, one password. Um, so one password has all their enterprise like level storage and you can basically just use external secrets operator with that um, and load secrets from your one password vaults into, um, in, into your various clouds out there because then you become cloud agnostic uh, quote unquote depending on even though we have no insight really into where one password stores all of its backend uh, yeah. you know which i'm sure it's on one or more of those clouds uh paul posts in the chat regarding vault and cloud agnosticism i'm curious in general whether people considering calling the aws ssm parameter store API from other clouds, perhaps uh, using roles anywhere, uh, lots of overhead to maintain and operate Vault uh, if AWS is one's predominant cloud. Yeah, and what's yeah. the reason that you're being multi-cloud is like to protect against Amazon having a problem. Yeah, no, I've definitely contemplated uh, just using AWS SSM in the past. I went the Vault route Beginning it was a great idea at the time. And then after you do it, you're like, wow, that was a lot of effort um, for trying to figure out how to back it up, trying to figure out how to restore it. And we built some automation around it. I'm still not really a fan. Plus you factor in the recent licensing changes. Um, and yeah, um, uh, Vault SSM, as far as I know, probably checks all the boxes we need. Yeah. But yeah, we'd I mean, have to back it out. So that's another- If you deploy enough nodes, you don't have to ever back it up or restore it. Are you talking about Vault? That was, yeah, that was, that was sarcasm. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think the other situation was we accidentally do a delete with the CLI. Or yeah, I, I, I know. I know. I was just joking. Yeah, yeah no worries. <laughs> cool. Well, Thanks. Yeah, yeah. Our pleasure. So we are at time for today. We'll be posting a recording of our session today to youtube.com slash cloud policies. So if you'd like to keep your team abreast of all the things happening at reInvent that we found interesting, one great way of doing so. Uh, if you're interested in uh, getting some of these links through your email, we do have a weekly newsletter at newsletter.cloudpolicy.com. We also uh, syndicate our office hours as a podcast, so you can get uh, these however you listen to podcasts. Go to podcast.cloudpolicy.com. If you're interested in working with Cloud Posse to see if we can move the needle for you at your organization, very easy. Go to cloudpolicy.com slash quiz, answer a few quick questions, and you'll book a meeting with me directly uh, so we can work through your situation and see if we can help. Wish you all a great rest of your week. Take care.